This talk was given by Linda Shinji Hoffman at Zen Mountain Monastery. Shinji is a senior lay student in the Mountains and Rivers Order. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. Good afternoon, everyone. And all of you at home, uh, my name is Shinji, and my teacher, Shugen Roshi, asked me to give the, the talk this afternoon. I'm going to begin with a quotation from T.S. Eliot. It's from the Four Quartets. Time present and time past are both perhaps present in time future, and time future contained in time past. If all time is eternally present, all time is unredeemable. What might have been is an abstraction remaining a perpetual possibility only in a world of speculation. What might have been and what has been point to one end, which is always present. Footfalls echo in the memory, down the passage which we did not take, towards the door, we never opened, into the rose garden. My words echo thus in your mind. Shall we follow? Time is the subject I, that came up for me, decided to, to share. Um, in part, I, um, some of you know, I went in for a day surgery five weeks ago and um, kind of woke up from it, not like being ready to go home, but um, 17 floors up at Mass General and looking out over the skyline and um, kind of in bed and wow, I couldn't sit up, I couldn't, like, I couldn't do anything, but my mind was clear. So it gave me, um, I had quite a few weeks to kind of, I didn't stay there that long, and I'm fine, and I had great doctors, and there's no problem, but it was a, um, a time of recovery, a time um, when ordinary time stopped. And of course, we talk about time in training, in dharma study. Um, a monastery lives between the bells that mark time to rise, time to sit, time to eat, time to work, time to rest. And we who live in lay life, the lay world, we mark time with the alarm clock, the punch clock, the children's bus, meeting with a boss. 
We all have sick time, vacation time, there's daytime and nighttime. I mean, time when you like start focusing on it is everywhere and in everything. And even the couple days that I've been here, I keep hearing it in every liturgy that we practically, that we're um, reciting. Time, present, past, future, time of birth, time of death, and the seasons, springtime, summertime, autumn, winter. So what is time? A poem by the great 13th century Chinese Zen master, Wu Men, the compiler of the Gateless Gate Koan Collection says, 10,000 flowers in spring, the moon in autumn, a cool breeze in summer, snow in winter. If your mind isn't clouded by unnecessary things, this is the best season of your life. If your mind isn't clouded by unnecessary things, this is the best time of your life. I lo I've always loved that poem, that teaching. Um, for a long time, I had it, you know, taped to my desk. Um, time. So a, a, just a quick little, like, history time. In, um, in Europe, in the 14th century, the day was first divided into hours. Time, however, was collapsible and expandable. The number of hours in the day, 24, stayed the same, but their length varied. It was a perfect natural adjustment to account for a farmer's seasonal clock. He would rise early in spring and summer and work late when the farm tasks were many. So those hours filled those, that longer daylight. And she would sleep more in winter when there was less work, less daylight to do the work in. Diurnal birds, insects, and animals, they live according to this pattern often, rising with the sun and bedding down as it sets on dark and cold mornings, haven't you wished? You could stay in bed till the sun rose. But spiritual seekers throughout history rise early. We love the quiet morning hours. It is the quiet we seek, the time before time, the time when each moment is alive in its own eternity. We train to help our minds find this quiet. We learn to allow our minds to settle <coughs> into the quiet of the heart, connecting with truth, 
God, the great mystery. But soon, back to this history, as if living by these tolling hours wasn't defining enough, our human march towards more control heralded in smaller delineations. Not long after the invention of hours, small, minute partitions of the hours, minutes, arrived. With the advent of minutes, the hour now had a set duration. Now time was tracked without reference to the Earth's year, no longer where where our seasonal rhythms tied to those of the cosmos, to the sun, but to the great authority of the pendulous medieval clock. Now we became tethered puppets on strings, dancing to the little markings of minutes on the clock. It seemed no one remembered. The whole system was made up. And if these tick-tocking minutes weren't enough, the minutes were further divided into even more precise measure of time. The second minutes, which we call seconds. Just a sec. I'll be right there. What does this have to do with practice? These constructs of time are made up. We believe in them, but we have created them, like so much else. We just turned the clocks back, in fact, right? So it was a a vote, right, by some governing authority that decided we'd turn the clocks back and... We have our Earth, a map, you know, divided by time zones, these little lines out in the Pacific around an island. I mean, I don't know. I think it was much more beautiful when you looked at the map and you saw water bodies and creatures and, you know, nothing was very um, exact. So... In Zen, there's a lot of talk on time. Okay. I'll try, try this. Okay. So um, there's a, um, a well-known story that I, I heard when I was first in training. A monk asked Zen master Chao Chu, during the 24 hours, How is mind put to use? The master said, you are used by the 24 hours. I use the 24 hours. Which of these times are you talking about? Are there two times? The time that Chao Chu lived his life and the time that most of us live our lives? I do remember when I heard this thinking, Oh, I want to be like Chao Chu. I don't want to waste my precious life. But it's a good, um, it's, it's good to remember that. It's, good to, it's a good way to examine how are we living. 
It's a good reminder when we come together for session to make the most of it, to be awake, to be alert. I know very well we can think our whole way through a period of zazen. I remember when I like first came into practice, my knees hurt so much. It was, it was so painful that I, and I, I don't know why, well, what, it was a different place a little bit, but I was afraid to tell anyone, like maybe they'd throw me out if I couldn't sit, I don't know. But I couldn't share that, and I, I welcomed a story Like if I could get lost for a period of zazen and have just my mind go off into a story, that was relief. I found a way to escape my pain with a distraction, which is what we do. I was completely used by time. I was... It it only occurred to me, I've got this scratched in here, earlier when we were reciting the um, identity of relative and absolute, it says, I repeatedly say to those who wish to be enlightened, do not waste your time by night or day. But this time is kind of, it's mysterious too. And... um, I think because I was working on this talk, I had a dream a few nights ago. And I arrived for session. I was trying to find my seat, but I couldn't. And there were were lots of other people kind of milling around, like who couldn't find their seat. And it was all a little hazy. But the Jikido had already rung the three bells. And um, I was looking for the teachers, because, I mean, they would be sitting and the the monastics, but um, the, the lingering part of that dream, the really disturbing part of it, was there was no schedule. Time had stopped being respected. It didn't matter. And it was all a complete mess. It was so chaotic. Can you imagine this place? <laughs> Orderliness was gone, and clarity was gone. And then I just have to put in this, what happened just at the very end of the dream. So I was driving home, and Gokhan was on the road. Like, he had gotten out of his car, and I think you were with Alex, but I'm I'm not definite about that. And I saw you, and so I was driving, and I got out, and I told you my dream. And... Gokhan started to draw for me what happens in the mind in Zazen. (laughs) And he used blue. You can't make this up, right? He used blue and pink highlighters, drawing lines. And he showed me the blue lines were spaciousness. And the pink were thoughts. But I, I share this because it was so beautiful. It was so soothing. It was like watching waves rolling in. You know, because like it, 
So the blue and the pink, the, the lines, they were all part of just the wave rolling in. So um, I took that as a guide to like move on to the mind and zazen with this um, exploration of time. And um, I remembered I had heard a Tibetan teacher say, the mind loves to think. It's its job. And it doesn't like it when you take its job away. So, you know, we may say to ourselves, okay, no more thinking. Settle down. Stop that thinking mind. I do want a quiet mind. But this teacher was saying the mind gets upset. What? No thinking? What am I going to do? It's my job. I thought it was pretty humorous, but all too true. And I, you know, I remembered, like, I'm sure as many of you do, in the beginning, you're told to count your breaths, and you go one, two, and by three, like, some other thought has popped up. And what I really appreciated was when I finally, and I don't know why it took so long, but I learned that thoughts are the natural functioning of the mind. That's, that is kind of true what that Tibetan teacher was saying. That's that the mind does this. Like, I thought, oh, okay, that makes sense we can train the mind to not be thinking all the time and not be thinking when we don't want it to. And we can relax. But um, we do that by becoming more curious, at least that was my experience, more curious about what the mind is doing and what the breath is doing, and watching it, and entering it. And watching the breath, and seeing the space around the breath, and realizing, like, it wasn't like a race, I gotta get to 10, there's a finish line. It was just bringing the whole body into the counting. And it reminded me my daughter and her partner adopted a dog during COVID. And this is a dog that has just so many issues, like a rescue. And um, his name is Theo, and they're still working on his issues. But the one that's really interesting for meditators is that he, he was so anxious and so restless that he could not sit down like he just could only pace. I mean, you can't have a creature in your house that just can't sit down. So what did they do? They gave him a job. See that mat? That's your mat, Theo. You lay down and you stay there. And he got treats. He needed treats to do that. He got treats every few seconds, little bits of kibble, and he stayed. And then he started staying for a few minutes. He 
was doing an important job and he was being rewarded. He remained alert, doing his job, and then gradually he started to relax. It's been quite amazing. They fooled his restless mind and gave it an activity, a good one, until he could relax. Sometimes, of course, that's how I feel like what I'm doing, too. When I, like, too many thoughts, okay, go to your breath, just, just, just watch your breath. So then I remembered that Dogen wrote a fascicle, Uji, translates the time being. And this is a quote from Dogen. This Uji means that time is existence and that all existence is time. We must look on everything in this world as time. And he continues, he says, things do not hinder one another, just as moments do not hinder one another. The way-seeking mind arises in this moment. A way-seeking moment arises in this mind. Where does this hindering that Dogen is talking about take place? Where is the problem? Can there be a conflict in a moment? Can a moment be divided like humans dividing time? into seconds and minutes and hours, into past, present, and future? What about the way-seeking mind, your mind, your heart mind, that pure compassion that is you? Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva is no one else but you. Your breath, each breath, one breath is Buddha mind, is our practice, is the entire earth. What about when you're really involved in cooking, a walk in the woods, an art project, an intimate conversation. What is time? Dogen said, see each thing in this entire world as a moment of time. When you are at this place, this is Dogen, when you are at this place, there is just one grass. There is just one form. Grass being, form being, are both time. 
Each moment is all being, is the entire world. This is still Dogen. Reflect now whether any being or any world is left out of the present moment. So how do we get to this place that Dogen is talking about, where there's just one grass, one form? One of the teachings I have found helpful was from a talk of Roshi's probably 15 or so years ago. And he was describing our journey, you know, this Zen path. And they, yeah, there's, there's this path, like we have the ox herding series that is downstairs that, um, you know, a, a Zen master actually wrote for his monks so that they would have an idea of this journey they were on. And, um, you know, we, we also... We, um, we become students, and then we study the precepts, and then we do Jukai, and there's all these different maps. And um, Roshi was talking about maps, so there is a map. But then he said, you have to go off the map. And I just thought when I heard that off the map, like, you know, you're out walking, hiking, and you have a map, you've folded it out, and you're trying to figure out where you are, but you actually have to go off the map, right off the edge. And I love that image. It's that going into the unknown, not knowing that's so important for us. Isn't that what our zazen is? When we don't know, we often make a map of what our practice should be like, what our life should be like. If we're ill, of course, we can't always practice the same way. That takes you to a different place. If sitting is too difficult or we can't get to the monastery. But remember, our teachers are always saying, everything is workable, everything. Dogen said, nothing hinders a moment. Our training is uniquely ours. That's why Doksan is private. We can't compare ourselves. We're going to have our own map. I had to pick up a sculpture in Western Mass, and I went on my way home like a detour up to Mass Mocha. And there was an exhibit of James Terrell, a sculptor. And I was by myself, and in order to view the exhibit, 
there's a kind of a dark opening in a door. And you go in, and it makes, you know, it, 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 you can tell you have to take a left. And it's pitch dark. And there's no instructions. And you're just like, whoa, should I go? Should I walk? I better walk very carefully. My hands are kind of out, but you don't want to bump into anything. And you know that this is like what you're supposed to do as long as you're not too afraid to kind of enter this room that's so dark. And so I did that. And I was in absolute darkness just by myself. And then I kind of sat, I sat down on a little bench as I saw a bench was there and just sat. And as I sat, the light, there was a little bit of light that started to appear on two sides of the room. So my eyes had opened and then a rectangle appeared of light. And I got up and I walked towards the rectangle like 10 feet. And then I decided I had to find out what it was. And like, even though you're not supposed to touch art, but I pushed my hand up to it and it kept going right through. It was just light. And it was so interesting that that off the map, that unknown. And um, while I was still there, two people came in, and one of them turned on their cell phone light, <laughs> of course. And I just couldn't not say anything. So I asked quietly if they could turn off the light. And one answered, I'm old and I can't see. So I kind of left it at that. But I thought, you know, I'm really grateful for practice because I know how to sit in the dark with discomfort. Like, that was the only way I would have, could have enjoyed, or not en enjoyed, it really experienced <coughs> that exhibit. And I think that's what James Terrell was, was getting at. But you have, to, you have to be kind of fearless, right, to go off a map. But it is the way to freedom. The evening gata says, time swiftly travels by and opportunity is lost. We should each strive to awaken, awaken, take heed. Do not squander your life. What is this time that travels swiftly? What is the opportunity we're losing. Remember old master Chao Chu? I use the 24 hours, you are used by them. 
Is it an invitation to no longer be a prisoner to time? Is it pointing to not being separate from time? Or being this ever-flowing change of time? Tisa Gotami is one of the women's names we chant on the list of the women ancestors. She married young, gave birth to a son who died still as an infant, fell sick and died. And she loved her son greatly and refused to believe that he was dead. And she carried the body of her son around her village, asking if there was anyone who could bring her son back to life. They knew, the villagers, that nothing could be done. And they suggested, of course, that she accept this. They would have a funeral. But she kept begging her son to wake up. And they took pity on her. And then the um, head of the village suggested she go see the Buddha, saying, maybe he can bring your son back to life. So she immediately went to the Buddha and pleaded for him to bring her son back to life. And the Buddha said, Kisa Gotami, I will bring your son back to life. And she said, I will do anything. He said, then I need you to do something. Bring me a mustard seed from a house where no family member has died. Bring this seed back to me, and your son will come back to life. Kisugotami was overjoyed. She went from house to house to find a mustard seed to bring back to the Buddha. But at the first house, a young woman offered her a mustard seed. And when she asked if they had ever lost a family member, The young woman said her grandmother had died a few months ago. And she went on to the second house, and there she was told that an uncle had died a year ago. And the third house lost a niece, and the fourth house an aunt. And she kept moving from house to house, but the answer was always the same. Every house had lost a family member to death. Kisa Gotami finally understood. Just as it said in the Genjo Koan, just as firewood does not become firewood again after it is ash, so after one's death, one does not return to life again. Life is a period in itself 
death is a period in itself, like winter, like spring. She buried her son in the forest, and she returned to the Buddha, and she became his follower. I think this was the first story I heard before I even came into training, and I was so moved by it. And I think it's really important to remember how much she grieved, that it's not about not grieving, that our hearts will break over and over, and we will go on offering ourselves each way-seeking moment. Time passes swiftly by, and yet, during this session, we practice each infinite moment. At the start of each sitting period, we listen to the bell. We listen and hear it, and hear it as it gets quieter and quieter until in bell bronze, silence, eternity, resounds. And then, soon, Sunday, we'll be here. We have only a few days, and we will celebrate the Shuso ceremony for Sancho, our beloved Dharma brother. So let's Use this time together wisely. The bells marking time remind us of the moment that is ours to live fully into the rose garden. Shall we follow? And T.S. Eliot continues, Go, said the bird, for the leaves were full of children, hidden excitedly, containing laughter. Go, 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 said the bird. Humankind cannot bear very much reality. Time past and time future, what might have been and what has been, point to one end, which is always present. Thank you for listening. To find out more about ZMM's programs, retreats and residency, please visit us online at zmm.org.